Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 21. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Righto. Well, um, as Robin just said, it's going to be a really short message today um, because of the voice thing, because of my bad head cold I had during the week. But um, today we're going to be talking about how God builds our faith when we recognise the activity of God that is already going on in our lives and it's already going on around us. Okay, so in the Gospel of Mark, it's come to the time for the Passover and it's pretty obvious to the disciples that, well, Jesus hasn't done anything to prepare for it. Um, it's sort of like coming up to Christmas time. Imagine coming up to Christmas and you've got all the family coming over for Christmas and and then realising, now hang on, we actually haven't, done the shopping, we haven't got anything organised and what are we going to do? And they're really leaving their run a bit late at this stage. I mean, like finding a place in Jerusalem on the night of the event to celebrate the Passover would be a little bit like trying to book a room in Toowoomba on the night of the Carnival of Flowers or trying to book a unit at the Gold Coast uh, when the, on, the, on the day of the Indy. Right, just trying to find a place there or trying to book a flight to Sydney um, on the night of the State of Origin Decider or something like that. It, it's Passover time. Jerusalem's bursting at the seams. She's chockers. But God's obviously been doing something in the background that the disciples don't know about. Somehow, this unnamed bloke has a large upper room, a mega room, it, it, that's not only available... It's all set up ready for them. Now, we don't know how this came about. Did an angel appear to this man and, and tell him, you've got to have this room ready? Or did he have a dream? We don't know. We don't know how it all came about. But somehow, God had everything organised. And Jesus says to his two disciples, right, just go into the city and you'll find a bloke carrying a jar of water. Follow him. Now, that's not too, too confronting yet. Can you imagine how this would be playing out, wouldn't you, with, with person's faith? All right, well, we'll follow him. And then when he gets to where he's going, you can say to the bloke who owns the place, the teacher says, where is my guest room 
where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. Now, at that stage, we'd be expecting the answer to come in your dreams, buddy. It's sort of like, like I've got a room here for you. I've got everything booked out already. But that's not the answer they got. And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, there, prepare for us. And it all happened just like Jesus said. Now, when I was preparing for today, I always read some commentaries and stuff, and one of the commentaries I read tried to explain it away. And it said, you know, Jesus must have already met this bloke on one of his other trips into Jerusalem and got it all arranged, right? And arranged that, okay, this will be the, the way you just have a bloke there with a jar of water and you can follow him. Now, to me, that's not at all what the gospel here is trying to say. It's not at all how the gospel reads. Um, is this the result of a prior online booking? I don't think so. Uh, is it a coincidence? I don't think so. It's what I like to call a God incident. God has been doing something behind the scenes and he's prepared for it to happen. In our daily lives, yes, there are coincidences. Everybody has coincidences. But for a Christian, it's really important that we don't miss the times when something is more than a coincidence. It's important that we don't miss the God incidents. So the first lesson for us today is to have our spiritual eyes open to recognise the difference between a coincidence and a God incident. Expect that God will do something unexplainable in your life. When we pray and we're seeking God's will and we're seeking God's direction for our lives, God doesn't usually respond to that prayer by saying, okay, right out now, Michael, I want you to do this. Right? He doesn't respond like that usually. But when we pray, we should expect that God is going to answer that prayer in a way that he chooses. And so we pray, Lord, what are you doing here? And how do you want us, how do you want us to join you in what you're already doing? Right? You understand that God is already at work in the world around you. Do you understand that? Yeah. He is. He's already at work right here in St George. God is already at work in the lives of people who you know. And so our prayer should be, Lord, show me how you are already at work and show me how you want me to join you in that work. But then the next really important thing for us to do is for us to open our spiritual eyes to see what happens next. God might be answering your prayer with something that seems like a coincidence. But it's not a coincidence at all. It's a God incident. And a God incident is something that can build our faith. There, there have been times in my life when God has done something amazing. And I bet you could think of times in your life when you can recognise, hey, God acted there. God did something amazing there. And it's really important that we remember these times. Some of us here have done the Bible study series called Experiencing God, Knowing and Doing the Will of God. And in that Bible study, Henry Blackaby, 
uh, it, it gets us to try and identify spiritual markers in our lives. These are the times where we know that God has acted. Uh, where we time, know that God has done something amazing here. And, and it wasn't pretend. It was something real, something definite. And we know that it's a way that God intervened into a certain situation. And we just know it was God. And it's undoubtable. We remember these as a spiritual marker in our life. That way when our faith is getting a little bit run down, we can remember back to those spiritual markers and we remember that time that God broke in and it builds our faith. But I wonder how many times God has done something in answer to our prayers or maybe even without us praying And we've just dismissed it as a coincidence when it wasn't a coincidence at all. So the first challenge is to not just dismiss something as a coincidence when it could very well be a God incident. God does these things to build our faith. But when we dismiss something that God is doing as just a coincidence... Well, what it does is it, it effectively undoes the faith-building work that God's trying to do in us. And the second lesson for us for today is God builds our faith so that we can endure the tough times. Obedience to God is rarely easy. You see, sometimes God might be calling to us to serve him in a particular way, but then it all seems to get really hard. It might seem like, like the whole world is against us. It, it might seem like we're going against the tide. It might seem like, like people are even turning on us. Even other Christians might be turning on us. And there's a very real tendency for, for many people at this point to come to the conclusion, oh, Well, I thought I was following God's will, but it mustn't be God's will at all because it's all too hard. Really? What version of Christianity are we living by where Christians begin to think that if we're obediently following Jesus, then it's going to be easy? I've heard many Christians say something along the lines of, you know, if it was really God's will, it would be easier than this. Really? Where do we get that idea from? Jesus told us that there's going to be times when the whole world will hate us even. And think about the troubles that the the apostles went through. Just think of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He tells us about some of the little hassles that he had. He tells us he was imprisoned lots of times. He had countless beatings. Often those beatings led him to be almost killed. Five times he got 39 lashes. That's nasty. He was beaten with rods three times. That's the sort of beating that breaks bones. He was stoned, uh, not with marijuana either, by the way, with the rock things. He was shipwrecked three times. A day and a night he was adrift at sea. His journeys were dangerous where he had to cope with flooded rivers and robbers and and, and people who were trying to persecute him. He was in danger from false Christians. 
It was really hard work, he tells us. There were sleepless nights, times when he didn't have enough tucker to eat. He had to sleep at rough. He didn't have enough warm clothes. He felt daily pressure and deep anxiety. Now, did Paul come to the conclusion, oh, I must be on the wrong track. It's all too hard. No, no, he didn't. So why do we, as soon as the going gets a little bit tough, why do we start talking about open doors and closed doors? As if this was a thing. And so we start thinking, oh, things are getting a little bit too tough in this area. God must be closing the door. Really? Do we really honestly think that God is only going to call us to serve him where it's easy? Why do we think that? The purpose of God incidents are not so that we can have a nice feeling in a place of comfort. God incidents build our faith enough to help us to endure suffering and to endure tough times. Can you imagine how those disciples must have felt, how everything that Jesus said unfolded before their very eyes? Right, he told them, go, go into the city. They went into the city. That's not hard. Look for a man with a jar. Right, oh, well, it's usually the ladies who are carrying jars of water, but yeah, we'll look, and that, that won't cost us anything. Nobody will think we're silly. Oh, look, there's a bloke with a jar. We'll follow him. Now, when they get to the... Now, that's already started to build their faith, right? It's already begun. So that when they get to the next stage, right, I need to... When, when that bloke gets to the house, you go in and say to the bloke who owns the house, Jesus is ready for the room that you've prepared for us. Now, that's going to take a bit more faith. I mean, but still, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're, they're never going to see this bloke again. The worst he can say is, what are you on about? Get, get away from here. And they just go off and never see him again. So, right, so maybe we have enough faith to do that. And they did that. But when they, when they received, the, the rece- got the reception that, that they got, you know, the rooms are all ready for you. What do you think that would have done for their faith? I mean, that's, that's amazing. Now, what was the purpose of that God incident? To give those disciples a nice feeling in their place of comfort? No. It was, it was for them, it was a spiritual marker so that they could know that God has everything in hand. See, they didn't land in this place by chance. God led them to this place. And what's going to happen in this place that they're at? Betrayal. When Jesus and the other disciples arrive and they're reclining around the food table, the first thing that Jesus is recorded as saying is there's someone here one of you 12, one of you who have been with me all this time, one of you who is eating out of the same dish that I'm eating out of, one of you are going to betray me. And this 
is only the beginning of a night and a day of great distress. As Jesus is arrested and tried and crucified. This God incident wasn't so that they could have a nice feeling in a place of comfort. This was something that would build their faith so that their faith could endure through the tough time ahead. They would know that God has led us to this place. This was no coincidence that we've ended up where we are. God's got everything in hand and we can trust in him. And that's the way that God uses God incidents for us. Um, now, I asked if anybody could have an example of a story where God has done a God incident in their life. Is anybody willing to save my voice and come and share a God incident? And don't hold back. Don't be embarrassed. I'll stand aside. And let go. Got a couple of things, but um, probably the first one for me was as a kid in primary school, um, you know, with just had a wart on the back of my foot and, and you know, as a kid and just innocent, I, you know, mum said, you know, why don't you pray for God for it to, you know, to go? And at the time I just, I just said, no, I want it gone before my birthday. And mum was a bit annoyed because there was a wedding coming up and she had some nice shoes that, she had to cut, cut the hole in the back off so it would fit on my, on my foot. But um, yeah, right before my birthday, it, it just dropped off. And, and, and it was just an amazing little, you know, it was a miracle that was just amazing that I always remember in my life. And I know, always know God's real. But for me, the, like the next main thing in my life was how I met my wife, Sharona. Like, I mean, Going up to Mount Isa, and that's where I met her, was not something that oh, it was in my plans at all. It was not part of how I wanted to do things, but it just that's the way you know life ended up. And and realistically, looking back on it, you can see God's hand through all of that. But at the time, I couldn't. You know, you just you're just living life, battling out life, but you see God just putting everything together for you know for you and and working out life for you. So. No, it was some really good moments when you can you know, see God working. I don't, um, I don't go well without notes or anything really pre-prepared, so see how I go. It's a, sort of a long story for a little bit of what you're after. Um, in, in the late 90s, I was in a car accident, and it wasn't a, a bad car accident. No one, no one got hurt. Um, but there was some, a fair bit of damage to cars, and we, we sort of come to an arrangement with this drink driver that had hit me. Um, about how this was going to get repaired. Anyway, um, that was that was fine. Anyway, went to get the get the car repaired, and he'd since sobered up and whatever. So he he didn't really want to honour the agreement that we'd made to to fix all this stuff up. And um, after a long a, a long sort of uh, debate, I suppose um, um, he he sort of accused me of lying and cheating, and I was sort of a bit proud of that at the moment. And I. Assaulted this man and his father pretty badly. I, um, it was really badly. Anyway, from that, I I ended up at court and I ended up with an assault charge and and I had to had to pay a few fines and 
pay their medical bills and doctor's bills and dentist bills and all these things that had happened to them from this. Anyway, at the time, I wasn't, I wasn't a Christian at the time and, and I, was, I was pretty proud of, of um, standing up for myself and my beliefs. And, but not only that, these people had done this sort of thing, these business owners to a lot of people and a lot of other people were pretty proud of what, what I'd done as well. So I was sort of stood on that for a long time. But um, after, after a, lot of, a lot of years after and starting to know God and probably a bit of time with my mum it was at the time, I just got this feeling that I'd, you know, at some point I've got to forgive these people. I'd carted this around for a long time, and anyway, I'd, um, yeah, I, it was it was a lot of years. It would be eight or ten years later this went on. I was, was going to square up with them at some point and get my money back and these fines that I'd gotten. Anyway, I um, I, I just knew that at some point I'm going to have to forgive them and put this behind me, and so. It was actually one of Michael's sermons. We were at the skill centre and he, he preached one day on forgiveness and, and how you'll be judged, how you judge other people. And, and I, um, I asked God there that day that he would present the opportunity that I could put this behind me, that I could forgive these people. And Anyway, at the, at the time I was on a bit of a health kick, probably something I probably need to be on again, but I, <laughs> I was running and cycling every day. I was either running or cycling every day and I took the same route every day and... Just the, the, the very next day after asking God for that, this, this business owner, and this is, this is like five or six o'clock in the morning, it's not business hours, and this bloke's just standing on the corner of his business. He, he hadn't been for the last months before, and I just thought, well, that's, here it is, I've got to sort this out. And um, I, probably a couple of things, I, I couldn't believe it was answered for a start. I was a bit shocked at that, but the other thing was, I was probably, I, it all felt good in practice, but I sort of, I didn't think I was ready. Anyway, I, I put my head down and just rode straight past him. I, I couldn't believe that I, anyway, I got past him and I was just that cranky with myself that, that I'd made an agreement with God, pretty much the same as what they'd done with me. They made an agreement and they didn't honour it and I just, I wasn't even a block away and I said, God, just let that happen again. Let, let me run into this bloke again and I'll, I'll make sure I stop. Anyway, it was the very next day in the very same spot not at the same time but in, he was just standing on the corner not doing nothing and I, I thought this is it so I pulled up and it wasn't about that but it just the forgiveness was a it was just a big weight I'd carried this weight around for a lot of years and and it was just like this weight this baggage that I just got rid of but yeah, you know, I sort of suppose a couple of things that forgiveness is a thing and I I still struggle with this today there's I've got people I've got to forgive still that I don't know whether I'm not ready or it's not happened or but it was just that yeah that when you ask God, he will. <laughs> he will, and I suppose I just wasn't ready. So, anyway, that's, that's that. Well, I just wanted to share something that I've probably told a few of you about over the years, but uh, when I first became a Christian, I gave my heart to Jesus one night in front of the fire in the, in the living room at home, and um, my wife at the time was in bed, and my kids were in bed, and uh, I had this great desire for the weeks and days ahead to read the Bible, I couldn't put it down. I used to go to work, I'd take it with me in the glove box of the truck, and uh, every opportunity, I'd sit down for lunch and I'd have a two hour lunch break and read the Bible. And I'd go home and I'd read at night till all hours. And uh, I had a job to do at Bollin, so I loaded up my truck one morning and uh, I had a plan that I'd worked out the night before. I, I was going to get over there, get all this work done really quickly. I would put the Bible in the glove box of the truck. 
I'd sit down at Smoko time, 10 o'clock, and I'd read until midday, 1 o'clock, and then I'd do the afternoon's work and come home. Now, as Robin said this morning about times and seasons, um, I was a bit of a secret Christian. You know, I hadn't really let my wife know about it. I don't think I'd let too many other people know about it. But I knew I was saved, and I knew this was a just a course I wanted to take. And uh, so the short the story is I go over to Bolland, I get stuck into all this work, I really worked hell for leather for the first half of the morning and raced over to the truck, opened up the glove box, no Bible. And I'd left it at home. Well, I'd just break out with all the anger and the language and everything that I'd, as I'd always had been before I'd asked Jesus into my heart. And uh, I was so disappointed and uh, I went back over to the house I was painting and I thought, well, <clears throat> nothing to do now. So I'll load all the rubbish up in the truck and I'll take it out to the tip. So I threw everything into the truck and went out to the bowling tip. Threw all these empty paint containers into the tip and looked down on the ground and there was a Bible. Now, the funny thing was, the guy that was sort of mentoring me at the time, he had a thing about anything that wasn't the King James Bible. And the Bible I'd picked up was a Good News Bible. And uh, I'd had a bit of trouble in the early part with the these and the thous and all that sort of thing in the, in the um, King James. So I was quite happy to have a Good News Bible. And when I started to read it, I couldn't put it down. And uh, I've got to tell you that these days I don't read the good news anymore. I've read the King James now for years and years. But um, I was absolutely certain that God had arranged that for me. Um, you know, somebody obviously, obviously, maybe someone had been there and threw their rubbish in and had a Bible and thought, oh, well, we'll leave that on the edge of the tip. Someone might want it. Maybe God himself put it there. I have no idea how it got there, but all I know is that he arranged for that Bible to be there for me at that particular time. And as again, as Robin said about times and seasons, it wasn't that much further down the track and I decided to be baptised. And it had to be a public thing. Uh, the little church that I was with used to do baptisms in the river here and uh, I was quite prepared to be baptised if there were hundreds of people. I didn't care if the whole town was there. And so we went down to the boat ramp, it was summertime, <clears throat> and the whole town was there. And so much so that we thought we can't have a baptism here, there's, there's too many people, you can't even get into the water. So we drove up along the river everywhere that you could sort of get access to the water was people. Go down as far as the, the scout hall and ramp there was filled up and little to one side we could see a place there where we could get into the water and I was quite prepared to walk in there and get baptised right there and then but I just see that God, these are God incident, incidents in my life and uh, although I was quite happy to be baptised in front of the whole town, I was quite happy really in the end to be done a little bit to one side while, you know, without little church body and... Um, 
but yeah, that's, I believe, how God has done a couple of things in my life, and he's done many other things, but I don't, I'm not going to keep talking. So, Thanks, thank you. Yeah, this happened um, about eight years ago when I was still at Doondoy. Um, we were harvesting wheat at the time, and it was pretty busy, and the Armstrongs decided to get a contractor in to come and give us a hand. <clears throat> so we, we got this um, header driver and a chaser bin driver. The chaser bin driver's right arm, he didn't have arm, so we, we used to call him one arm Mick, and he was driving this tractor and changed gears and driving. Anyway, one Saturday afternoon, Stuart turned up and he said on the two-way, um, he said, he just want to let everyone know we're not going to harvest tomorrow on the Sunday. Um, and he said to the contractors, um, they're more than welcome to take the day off too. Um, if they do want to harvest, they're welcome, but if they want to take the day off, we, we're not, we're not going to harvest. And then, and then Stuart left. My header at the time was full, and I pull up at the truck to unload. One arm Mick pick up a load from the other bloke, racing back with the chaser bin, and, and pull up on the other side of the truck unloading. And then he jumped out of his tractor, jumping in the cab, in the header with me, and, and he just went off. He, he just said, what nonsense is this? And this is crazy. It's harvesting time. You can't take time off. And um, he said, I... I would crack myself if there's a big storm tomorrow and just wipe this whole crop out. And um, I, I just said to Mick, I said, oh, he said to me, that's probably a church thing. What, what's going on here? And I said, oh, yeah, we're just going to go to church tomorrow. And that's when he said, he said, oh, I'll just laugh when, when there's a big storm. And I said to Mick, oh, I don't think that'll happen. God, God will look after us. Anyway, he, he's out of the header, back in his tractor, and he left. The next day we went to church, um, after church went back home, we had John and Heather out for lunch that day, and um, barbecuing, and the weather was just building up, building up, and um, we went to sit down just to have dinner, uh, uh, lunch, and um, we heard something on the roof, like someone throwing a rock on the roof, and, and then another one, and then another one, and we realised, oh, this, it's hailing, it started to hail run out, make room in my garage to, take, to put John's car in the garage, and then it was just full on. It just bucketed down. And um, later that afternoon, Stewart ring me up, and he said, I just had a massive hailstorm down the river. This is a, the homestead. And you have to help me, Emma. 30-odd windows been knocked out, Doondoy. The old Doondoy has that big, what they call it? Okay, ballroom. Ballroom. Yeah, I think 30 odd windows knocked out or cracked. And the first thing I was thinking of is, is one arm Mick being up me. He, he's going to have a, a big laugh. Anyway, that night I, I just couldn't sleep. I wasn't, wasn't much sure what to say the next day to Mick if, if we're going to go down. Anyway, early the next Monday morning, I, I just jumped my youth and went down to the paddock and hardly anything there, like a little spit. About 10 o'clock that morning, we're back into harvesting. And from the brick house where I used to live to the paddock was probably two, two and a half kilometers as the crow flies. 
So, yeah, I think I think God is still in control, whether like even with the weather. And it probably that wasn't a coincidence. That was a God incident, probably showing Mick he can still let it rain or send a big hailstorm, but still save save your crop. So I might just share just one incident for us. I, I know most of you have probably heard this before, but I'll, I'll share it again. And it was to do with when we actually um, were starting Bush Disciples. So I'd, I'd left the church that I, I'd previously been a minister in and really didn't know what God wanted us to be doing. And, and we've been praying, Lord, what do you want us to do? Because we knew that time in ministry wasn't finished, that God would be using us in some way. And um, I just woke up one morning and the words bush disciples was in my head. And I just knew it was significant. And so the iPad was beside my bed. I grabbed that and put it onto notes and just typed in Bush Disciples. But then I kept typing and I basically typed out the, the outline of, of the ministry that Bush Disciples ended up being. And I got up that morning feeling for the first time in a couple of months that, wow, I think God's given us some real direction here. And, um, and just knowing that God had given us that direction and but would, would that be enough how would I know that it wasn't just me and um, anyway I started making breakfast and before I'd eat, even eaten my breakfast um, I got a text came in from Scotty Brim who some of you will know and and he just said in this text he said Michael I just want you to know that in my quiet time this morning, I just had an image of a lamp lighting your path. Now, this is something that's never happened before. He has never contacted me to share with me anything about what God has been doing or whatever. Um, he's never done it before then. He's never done it after then either. Now, I had the choice then of going, well, is this just coincidence? No, of course it's not coincidence. It, it was a God incident. Right? So that very morning, God had given me those two words, bush disciples and the outline of a ministry. I felt, hey, I think God's telling me something here. And then within half an hour, I get, received this text. I had an image of a lamp lighting your path. And for me... That's been a spiritual marker. Like for me, that was just confirmation. God saying, Michael, I want you to know this is my definite path for you. And so that's become what I call a spiritual marker to, to remember when times get tough. And let me tell you, times have been really tough in this ministry, especially near the beginning especially when we first began and we, we copped it. I mean, I personally had the opinion, well, why would you start another church in town when there's already so many here? That to me, that didn't make sense. Um, but we sort of, we copped it from people, particularly in our old church, um, quite angry with us that we'd done it. But 
with the confirmation that God had given us, we just knew that that was the path that God had set us on. It was a God incident which built our faith. And even now when times get tough, and I'm sure they will still continue to get tough and we'll still start questioning, well, why are we doing this, you know? Well, we know that until God gives us different marching orders, we know that he set us on this path. See, these are reminders um, that things aren't always easy when we're following God's will and God's calling. And so when times get tough, um, Robin and I, we, we look to and we remember some of the God incidents in our lives, spiritual markers, and they just, they build our faith so that we don't give up. And so we just keep pressing on in the direction that God has for us until he redeploys us in some other direction. But the thing is, this is a way that God works for all of us. And we've just heard some of these stories in people's lives. And thanks so much for sharing. It, it actually, what's that done for your faith? Does it build your faith to hear how God does these things? I see some noddings of some heads. Thank you to those who, who shared today. Um, this is the way that God works in you and I. Sometimes we sort of get into our heads, oh, no, it's only those special spiritual people. It's pastors, ministers, missionaries. They're the ones that God does the God incidents in their lives. No, he does it in all of our lives. We just need to make the connection that it's not just a coincidence, it's a God incident. You know, and some people have often said it to me over the years, it's, you know, it's all right for you, but I don't get God incidents in my life. It doesn't happen to me. That's only for those spiritual people. Now, I don't want to offend anyone, but I'm really good at it, so <laughs> I might offend you. Um, I actually doubt that that's true. I reckon I can pretty much guarantee that if you give not only your heart to God, but your whole life, to him, if you say, Lord, I am your servant, take me and use me as you will. If you pray, Lord, show me what you're doing in this place and show me how you want me to join you in what you're doing. I reckon that after praying that prayer, if you open your eyes, you will see opportunities that God puts in front of you. You, you and I, we have to have the expectation that these things are going to happen, that our prayer will be answered and God will show us these opportunities. We just have to realise that they're not coincidence. It's a God incident. And here's the key. When a God incident happens, don't ever write it off that, oh, now this is all going to be too hard. So like Scott, thanks for sharing that. Your first time around, God put that God incident there, he put that bloke there for you and, oh, it's all too hard and you pedalled on past him. But then you realise, no, I've just, I've just let God down here. He's, he's set this all up for me. God, give me another chance. Well, and he did. And that's, that was a great story. Let's not be the ones who pedal past. Let's be the ones who see the God incident and respond, even though it's going to be tough. Because when God does something, 
God wants to do a God-sized work. You know, we, we sort of expect that when God calls us to do something for him, that we just want him, that, that it's going to be us doing it. And we see, some, we see a need and go, well, I can't do that. So therefore, God's not asking me to do that. He's asking somebody else to do that. No, the thing is, God wants to do a God-sized work. So with me, God doesn't want to do a Michael-sized work. He wants to do a God-sized work. Because if God sets up a task for me to do, and I go, oh, yeah, I can go and do that, and I do it, who gets the glory? Michael does, because, oh, Michael did what Michael could do. But when God sets a God-sized task, when it is something that only God can do, God does his work through me. And it's the same with you. God will call you to do something that you can't do. And that's an opportunity for God to do his work through you. So don't expect it to be easy. Obediently following Jesus is a hard road. But I can promise you that it'll be the most amazing experience that you've ever had following Jesus on that hard road. God's incidents build our faith so we can endure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for all of the, the God incidents that you've that you've done in our lives and, and in our world around us. Lord, forgive us for all of the times when you've been doing these things and we've just seen it as coincidence. Forgive us for all the times when we've seen something and go, oh, well, I can see a need here, but that's just too hard. Lord, our prayer now is that you would show us what you are doing around us because we know that you're already at work, Lord. And Lord, show us how you want us to be involved in this. And Lord, we ask that you would open our spiritual eyes so that we would see what you are doing, that we wouldn't just see things as coincidence, but that, you, that we would recognise a God incident and that we would, that would build our faith, Lord, to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.